How's everyone doing? Woo! Got a little bit of a response there. That's great. Um, bodes well for what's to come. Uh, glad you're here. Glad it is February. Um, yeah, I want to just thank God for what God's been doing, even in this space so far, uh, with worship, which was great and fantastic. We can clap for worship. It's okay. Though. Yes! Woo! Let's go. Um, yeah, that was fantastic. So I just want to pray, um, yeah, Thanksgiving, just for the Lord's presence with us um, so far, and pray that it continues. God, thanks that you're with us, that we can worship you and notice that you are here. We can notice your presence. We don't have to just ask that you're here and that you come. We want to do that, but we can actually notice and become aware that you're working, that you're moving inside of us. Lord, I pray right now that that would just continue to happen. That would continue to happen. You would continue to move in this place, in this space. Lord, I ask for uh, a blessing over our congregation as we're ready to uh, dive deeper into the word. God, I pray for me as I share. Lord, would you be here? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come with your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, my name is Josh Williams, uh, as Todd said, pastor here. And uh, I have a, a little daughter up to Zoe's four, Joy is two. She just turned two in December. And one of the things we like to do is go on walks together. Uh, and sometimes it's a, just a joy walk, just a daddy-daughter joy walk, you know? And so we did that uh, a few months ago. And one of the things that came up as we uh, were walking, I said, let me just kind of pray and see what happens. And it's funny because something happened, right? Uh, Kiana, Asha, they teach us this. Hannah taught us this. Like kids actually pray back. They pray too. And so I was praying for different people. And then she just started to say, bless mommy. I'm like, okay, I guess we're blessing. We're blessing mom. And then we did that. It's like, bless Zoe. And then we go for Zoe, right? We, we did that. Bless Riri. That's my mom. You know, so praying for grandma. Bless papa. Like we're, we're doing that too. And there's uh, a sense of how uh, there's one to another, this kind of blessing, generation to generation. There were some other people thrown in there last night. It was very interesting. Um, it was Bless Maui. And I was like, okay, we're praying for like places now. We're praying for, you know, this island of Maui. Then she said, Bless Moana. And I was like, okay, now we're praying for Moana. Um, bless Hey Hey. Uh, I was like, wow, we're going like deep into Moana. Some of you guys don't even know, and you've seen the movie, it's the, the chicken. And then it was, you know, bless hey hey again, right? So we prayed for the chicken twice. And just in case you are wondering, um, yeah, I actually did pray for the characters. Um, I prayed for, for them uh, as if they're real people. That's, I hope that's okay with people. The, the theology of that, I'm not sure if that works out, but um, I did do that. So that's, that was me. That was on me. Uh, this is what it's like to have a little girl that's learning how to pray, and also uh, what it's like just to bless people around you, to have a culture of blessing in the church. I'm glad that Joy could model that for me. I'm glad that I could kind of participate, do it back. But there's uh, something about what it means to be a person of blessing, and Joy apparently knows something about that. If you know uh, even the Jewish Sabbath, one of the ways they mark that on Friday nights is to pray for the children. You pray for the household. You pray for the different kids. There's other ways we see in the Bible that it's really a story of blessing. That Abraham, who's the father of faith, that there's a, a way that he blesses the nations. That's the goal, at least. To bless the nations through everyone uh, in the people of God. 
This is something that we see time and time again in Scripture, this culture of blessing. So one of the things that um, I love when I look at the Bible is that story that we can bless people and that when we bless them, they can bless someone else. And it's like a, a chain passing along. And you wonder, like, why isn't more of the story like that? Well, uh, there's a lot of reasons. But it's not always like that. People forget to bless. People don't just forget to bless, but they curse. They actively say negative things or harsh things. And the story of God, we can often misprioritize. We can often uh, just not really know how to bless the next generation, how to bless people around us. And we see that in the story of God, this kind of damaging way that the people of God almost like withhold a blessing. Like they know they can bless, they almost withhold it. And I wonder sometimes if we felt that, that we could bless someone else, but we didn't know who maybe to bless. Or maybe we do know, but we're like, let me just keep that back. One of the other ways in the Bible the blessing is it's all seen as an inheritance. Like you bless this next generation, you almost want to give them what you have. You want to bless them to be better than you. And we can sometimes withhold that back too. We kind of keep a blessing from a previous generation. There's great power in blessing and doing so across generation. But it's also really important to do that in the life of our community. We're going to have a few pictures of Hey Hey. Not one time, remember, that she prayed for Hey Hey, but two. Okay. I thought it was pretty funny, too. But when you think about blessing generations, there's something really important about doing so in the church. Blessing generations in the church. I mean, even Elm City Vineyard, we've only been around for almost 15 years, but there's different generations in the church, not just age, because obviously everything I'm talking about today, you can apply it to um, age, you can apply it even to your own family line, you can apply it to thinking about ethnicity, but I want to think about in the church specifically. So when I look at ECV, I see these four generations, hopefully it won't get confusing because it's Gen 0 and then Gen 3, right? 0, 1, 2, 3 equals 4, right? Maybe you'll get confused, maybe not. I'll, I'll help you guys. We're doing some things together. But you look at uh, Gen Zero, you know, New Haven Vineyard, the foundational piece and the block of what God did in our community to actually have a vineyard that we planted out of. Right here, I'm looking at Bill and Laney Elander, the pastor of that church. We can give them a round of applause, a thunderous round of applause. For more than three decades, they pastored that church. At a part of that time, there was a marker where ECV actually was planted in 2007, and we kind of were uh, running alongside each other, uh, trying to support one another in ministry. Uh, and then there was a time when that church uh, decided to close in 2019, and Bill and Laney, some other folks, came here. And so without them, there's no ECV. Without them, there's no foundational way that even some of our leaders have been trained up in that church, learn how to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, learn how to read the Bible, learn how to encounter God in a deeper way. Even just we're in the same place. Sometimes you have the people scattered. Like I was actually around in New Haven that time. I was not with this crew. But sometimes you have the people scattered, but you need a place where people can gather to see themselves, to find themselves, and then to uh, be together. That actually happened in the New Haven Vineyard before this church became ECV. Or maybe it's Gen 1. 
the crew that will still recognize this basement. Some of you guys are in this picture. Um, and this is the crew that, like, you've been with us basically through every move that we've had. This is one of the ways of talking about it. Like, there's a move from, you know, a home group to a church building, not upstairs, but downstairs, then upstairs, then to Trinity Lutheran, if you remember that short little season, right? I do. Um, you know why, if you know the story. Um, and then this building. But it wasn't just moves in terms of people or our places. It was moves in terms of how do we do church, doing team leadership, having different people on staff, having great leadership, and then seeing uh, that leadership change over time as we responded to what the Lord was doing. Then there's Gen uh, 2, this crew that's been here primarily, probably at First and Summerfield, and I've been the pastor for most of that time. Uh, you can recognize that time maybe through some of the ways that we were trying to grow together, the ways that we were trying to seek uh, more multi-ethnicity in our church and, and seeing it happen, and also to go forward in what had always been the church's heart and loving the city. And Gen 3, I love y'all. Y'all are great. One of the ways I know you might be Gen 3 is if you had to put on one of these little masks. You've been in outside. You've been inside. Like Some people are like, do you guys have a building? Like, I, I might still come outside, but like, do you have, like, no, not, not, not own. Like, is there anywhere you meet inside? Because like, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. Like, what? Like, you've come before, right before, you know, during, uh, maybe, are we at the tail end? I hope we're at the tail end. Like, let's pray we're at the tail end, like, of a global pandemic, right? These different generations, yes, for that first time, like, yes, we are at the tail end. Let's go for it. And you also have that faith, Gen 3. I love that faith. Come on. So Gen 0, Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, these different groups of ECV, ways that we can identify ourselves. And some of you are like, well, I'm more 1.5 or 2.5. Like, I left and came back. Do you. Go for it. Like, come next week with, like, 1.5. Like, rep it. Be proud. But this is just a way I'm kind of trying to organize. Like, these are the different generations in the church. And if you're coming today, that's great. Like, Keanu was like, let's pray for Gen 4. Like, this is awesome. Like, I don't know if Gen 4 is, like, happening now. Like, we don't know how the, what's happening with the pandemic and different things. We got some prayer, right? But there's ways that we're saying we're a church. And there's different ages. There's, you know, different ethnicities. But there's also different times that we've been in the church. Unless we recognize that, we can't really bless each other, right, in those generations. Unless we kind of see and know that, we can't bless one to another in that way. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that that's an important way that we see our community that we bless our community. More about that in a little bit. One of the things we're going to do in this season is to see ourselves as people that can bless generationally and that bless generations one to another. I'm going to pray for us today as we get started into Scripture and as we are ready to receive, hopefully, but also give blessings one to another. God, I pray that you'd be here today. You would show up with your people, show up with power. Lord, thanks for each of those generations. God, I just pray a special blessing over the New Haven Vineyard and, and Bill and Laney and the folks that are here from that church. Just thank you so much, God, for what they did and their faithfulness to allow this community to thrive and to flourish, to exist. God, we never know what one decision, one act of faithfulness, what fruit it can do, and how so much has been born out of Bill and Laney's faithfulness, God, out of the New Haven Vineyard's faithfulness, everyone that showed up, everyone that put away a chair. God, we thank you for what that's done in our community. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So each week of February, we'll um, be praying for different generations. Obviously, there's a huge heart today for the New Haven Vineyard generation. 
Um, and the talks will just be going through different parts of Scripture, um, looking at different ways we can bless one another. Uh, this one will be with trust. They'll be with, uh, gener- uh, with challenge, with perseverance, with commitment, uh, because our blessing can get specific, right? It's not just like blessings, you know, but it can get specific. So today is about trust. And it's a bit intense because the story of God is also intense. And it's going to look at two different families. Uh, this is the family of Hannah. Some of you guys know this story. Um, Hannah, who's married to a man named Elkanah. And then Elkanah has another wife. It's already getting spicy, right? Um, Penaniah. Uh, and then also looking at this man named Eli. This isn't a blood family chart, but it's the response to priest, this genealogy of priests that are in the line of God. And you see here that, oops, I did more than I thought. Um, you're like, whoa. Um, uh, see where I'm going. Uh, and you see what happened with Eli and, and his own family, that he does have two sons that are up there, but there's more, uh, more to his story. To get the story of what is happening in the people of God, we have to um, look at both parts. We have to look at both parts of the story. Sometimes if you're from the church or you've been brought up in the church, you kind of think about the story of Hannah. There's really something going on with Hannah and Eli here today. So I want us to read um, more of the story together. And there's something about the story where we'll see three parts. Uh, There's trauma, which I'm just defining as a deeply disturbing experience. There's test where out of that trauma, there's almost a place where you could be triggered, you could be, uh, wo- you could be worried, you could be uh, wondering, like, what, what's going to happen to my life? And there's a test that you can go through, and ultimately there's a choice of trust you can have, to trust God. Trust God actually more than the religious system. Trust God more than a broken religious experience. Trust God more than your trauma. That's actually possible. So to trust God, because sometimes it's important that we know that we can trust God, and by trusting God, we can trust more, but we need to start there. So trauma test and trust. We're going to be reading uh, a bit of scripture today. So if you want to look through in 1 Samuel, you can get that out in your Bibles. You can open up an app and get that. But we actually be walking through parts of 1 Samuel 1 and 2. Um, This story really is in a 1 through 3. um, And then the book of Samuel kind of, 1 Samuel changes and and changes in scope. We're going to be looking at uh, mostly 1 and 2 together. So I'm going to read it for us. Um, This is... Chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Now Elkanah used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, that's the priest that we're going to talk about, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Penaniah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb, Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? We already see here why maybe trauma will be used, right? Think about this for Hannah, that every year she has to go up to the house of the Lord, to have this religious experience. And who, who gets in her way? Her rival, provoking her, irritating her, bothering her each time. There's this really hard story for Hannah of not having kids. And this other wife who doesn't need to be a rival but has become a rival uses that to provoke, to challenge, to say, how many do you have? 
this is a traumatic experience, and unfortunately, it's tied to a religious experience. Those things can happen, unfortunately. And when we think the husband maybe is trying to do some good things, think about kind of the response and context. Hey, why don't you eat? Why is your heart sad? And am I not more to you than 10 sons? She's like, this actually wasn't about you, Elkanah. Elkanah, like, stop right now. Like, I'm sad because of my situation. You're making this like, okay, what? Like, this isn't about you and me right now. Even though Elkanah's trying to recognize her by giving her uh, this double portion, really, there's just a spoil, right? This trauma that she's going through. And to make uh, matters worse, uh, something else happens this particular time, right? There's already a traumatic experience, but there's something else that kind of is insult to injury this time, because it seems like Hannah's going through something this time. She's wanting to go past her trauma, to go to the Lord, to try to trust God. And so we see her pray, but then something happens right after that, and we're going to read it together. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. So it seems like there's maybe some private space she's in, but then Eli is there. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. I want to pause there for a second. What is Hannah doing? She's saying, I want to just pray before the Lord right now. I want to give my case. I want to share my situation. And I actually want to say something. I, I guess she hadn't done before, but I think she's moved by the Spirit. So she says, God, if you give me this child, I'll give him right back to you. If you bless me to have this other generation, I'll give him right back to you. And here's how. He'll be a Nazarite. He'll be someone that's specifically devoted to the Lord. He'll live here right in this temple. Lord, this is what I'm willing to do for you. So she's had this traumatic experience, but she still traveled to the house of the Lord. She does this amazing prayer right to God. And then this is what happens next. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli, the priest, said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. Insult to injury. This woman traveled, knowing the religious trauma that she goes through. This other rival wife saying like these horrible things to her. Her husband thinking it's about him. And then she gives, <laughs> still kind of funny, right? It is. Elkin is like, it's about me. No, it's not. And then there's this moment of a sincere prayer to God, trying to trust God. And there's this deeper test. Because a priest just says, you drunk, girl, get out of the temple. And she's like, that's the farthest thing from the truth. I'm actually praying that my son would be a Nazarite, that he wouldn't drink, right? If you've been a part of some of these nonviolence uh, workshops we've done, this is like test case, right? Where it's like, what do you do? Do you armor up? Do you get ready to say, priest, I didn't even want to come here today. Do you know what's happened to me? Do you know my story? But she decides to do something different. She trusts God. Trust God enough to have a sincere response. And I love what we've been doing in the nonviolence class because there's a way that we actually see uh, Hannah do a master class here. Hannah answered, no, my Lord, the title of respect. You know when it's like the title of respect that's also going to say like, 
hey, you're the Lord, but somehow you're getting this wrong. It's the dressing down, but using the title of respect. Some people know this well. Some people don't. It's okay. I'm a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do you catch that? I actually haven't been drinking wine, strong drink, but I have been pouring something. It's called my soul priest. Have you seen that? Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. She says who she's not, who he, who he thinks she is. Your servant, don't regard her as a worthless woman, for I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. And then Eli moves towards her. He answers, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said to him, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. Just to pause there, it's almost like there was something in that that was a healing. Like there was some freedom found there. Hannah like asserting herself, having prayed to God, kind of gone through some of that traumatic experience uh, through this test of a priest being rude and disrespectful, and then saying, I'm going to trust God and just keep speaking my story, keep speaking what I know to be true. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. This is the company of Hannah. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. Hannah has a baby, a miracle happens. She's been through trauma. She's been through a test. And she decided to keep trusting God. She asked for a blessing of her generations. And guess what? It came through. God provided for her. We see trust. Trust that she has in God more than the priest, more than the broken religious system, more than her trauma. Trust in God. And that trust in God causes a breakthrough for her and her life. Because she says, God, you're worthy of my prayer, even if a man is disrespectful to me, you're worthy of my sincere offering to you. And we see this play out in the story. She says, oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. She left him there for the Lord. We see that Elkanah, the father, went home while the boy remained to minister to the Lord in the presence of the priest, Eli. From trauma through test to trust. But like I said, this is just one half of the story. We wouldn't have the complete picture if we didn't have Eli's perspective. And I honestly think this story is the one that gets told a lot. Eli does a lot of other things. There's another famous kind of Sunday school story with him. So we can leave out this other half. And I really hope you guys catch what happens here because it's the other half that really tells how we can bless generations in the church. How we can come together from places of trauma and sadness and loss. How we can go through tests together. But how we can also trust God together and see what God is doing on the other side. We see Eli here with his two sons. Uh, I'm not going to ask anyone here uh, if they're a PK, because I happen to be raising some myself, so I don't want to call anyone out. But it's hard, I imagine, to be sons of a priest, specifically with the history that Israel's going through right now, where their leaders are corrupt, they're struggling, and that seems not to be different for Eli. Scripture just makes it plain. Sometimes Scripture hides some things. This is not hiding anything. Now, the sons of Eli were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. This little ellipsis is a story about how there are people doing offerings, bringing offerings. Usually you burn the offerings, you present them to the Lord. Basically, uh, 
the two sons, they take these offerings as basically uh, menu orders, as if it's like a Grubhub or Uber Eats. They're like, no, actually, don't do that. Don't cook it that way. We like it rare. But literally, it's in the Bible. Like, they're just like, we'd like that rare, so don't, don't burn it the way that you thought you had to. We'll just take the meat. And that's like the scandalous thing they do that's more like, okay, that's just food, though. There's some other dirtier stuff they do, like bad relationships, like breaking covenant, like uh, looking at, at women in the temple in, in horrible ways. These guys are, are not good. And yet they're the sons of Eli. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated the offerings of the Lord with contempt. This is another trauma. Eli here is the priest that wants to be righteous before the Lord. If you've read uh, this story and you know what comes before it, it's what we were talking about with Gideon, these uh, religious communities, these uh, godly communities trying to say there's, there's someone to look forward to. There, there's, there's a way we can follow God. They were trying to show that there was a standard in their worship. And time and time again, people showed that they were corrupt, that they weren't worth following. And here's Eli saying, I'm trying to be righteous, but my sons are out here. And they're, they're really out here. They're doing some horrible stuff. And he's suffering under that, the weight of that. There's a question of what his life will be like as his father that can't get his act together. They're not just sons, they're priests. They have the same religious status as him. And there's a test too. In some ways, it's the other side of the story. It's him seeing this woman praying thinking she's drunk and being like, what? It's not just my sons that are going crazy up in here. Now it's this woman, this drunk woman in, in the house of the Lord. So he does what we saw him do. But there's a choice that he makes to not lash out at her, to understand her, and ultimately to bless her, the blessing that leads to this new generation, this generation of Samuel. And we see what that does. This young boy Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. His mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. You see what's happening here? There's a way that this annual trip that was causing so much harm is now a trip that she gives a gift. There's actually a blessing. It's a different kind of memory that she's making here. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord repay you with the children by this woman for the gift that she made to the Lord. And then they would return to their home. And the Lord took note of Hannah. She conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. I think it just turned off. Um, there's this amazing other side to the story where Hannah doesn't have a son and Eli prays for her. Eli has two disobedient sons that aren't priests in the temple. And then all of a sudden, Samuel gets offered. And, Sa and Eli, who was struggling with, could I even raise a leader? Could I even have a son that is a good son? He receives one in this. They actually complete each other in a way. Their, their trauma, their test, even the way they trust, it actually completes each other. And that can only happen in the house of the Lord. Only in the house of the Lord can someone come who has no kids, who actually gets insulted by the very priest, and yet that priest can bring a blessing. Only in the house of the Lord can a priest that has these religious duties, but also this secret shame and trauma. Only in that setting can he bless a woman and that same child 
would become this leader, Samuel, of the people of God. And if you know the rest of the story, Samuel leads the people of God to their first king and then their second king, David. David's in the line of Jesus. There's a way that these small acts tell a greater story. It's a story of trust and what can happen when we trust God more than our trauma, more than even our test. When we trust God, we can actually see the ways that our, our, our blessing in the generation can, can come to pass because we bless up and down. We bless throughout differences, even when it seems hard. It's an intense way to start our story, intense way to start our series. But honestly, if you think about it, uh, blessing seems like it's kind of easy, right? Like the Oprah car metaphor, like you get a blessing, you get a blessing, you get a blessing. It could seem like it's super easy to bless generations, but for some reason, we don't. It's hard. It's difficult. I think the pain in our lives, sometimes our own trauma, even our own religious trauma, the ways that we forget one another, keep us from extending a blessing, from praying courageously for other people. It's so easy to see here, right, how Eli and Hannah could have missed each other. Does anyone see that in the text? Like, even Hannah just saying, dude, that's not who I am, and then just leaving would have stopped this blessing. But somehow they persist in trusting God, and that leads to trusting one another. And I wonder if that's a, a, a word that God has for us today. ECV, where are we needing just to persist a little bit more to trust God so we can trust one another and bless one another? Where's your breaking point where you're almost ready to go, almost ready to leave, almost ready to say, I'm going to break relationship? I'm not sure if it's with everyone, right? But with, with people, with real relationships. But God's saying, trust me and pray courageously for what you're seeking. And then act, expect that maybe the answer to your prayer, maybe the very other half of your struggle is actually in the church. It's in the people of God. It's in the place that maybe a place of hurt or place of struggle, or place of discomfort, or loneliness. Trust God that maybe your, your breakthrough is on the other side of the aisle, perhaps quite literally. Do you guys see why blessing could be hard, but also how it could be our breakthrough? Blessing generation, one to another. Obviously, there's age, there's ethnicity, but here it's these generations, these generations in the church. But to bless people, we have to recognize what God is doing and who is showing up. I want you to think, actually think, where is it hard to bless someone in your life right now? Where is it hard to offer a blessing of peace, of love, of goodness, really blessings extending God's favor? Where is that difficult for you? Is it a tough relationship where someone's hurt you? Is it to people that you don't know super well because you're like, it's a pandemic, guys. I don't want to invite anyone to my house. I'm just being honest. Like, where is that place for you where it's hard to bless, where it's hard to extend God's love and kindness? I don't think this is just like a theoretical question. I think this like is real to us. And in challenging times, times like these that are pressing us for our time, for our attention, and these challenging times, oftentimes we can just feel like, I just don't have enough right now. 
I don't have enough to bless. Maybe you have a standard, <laughs> a way that you think that should go. But I think there's a pretty low bar just for saying, bless you in the name of Jesus. What's your prayer request today? Can I, can I pray for you? That's what God might be asking us to do is to be genuinely interested in serving one another and in blessing one another. Where in blessing another generation might you receive your own blessing? What are you looking for? Is it family? Is it connection? Is it a place to share a dream you have? You know, we just went through this series about, you know, uh, faith to start small, faith to, to, to go, faith to build, faith to dream. Perhaps the other side of that, like, inkling is actually in the room today, but you don't know it. But you have to step out and pray. Maybe you're like, Josh, I've already experienced this. This is what happened two weeks ago when someone prayed for me, and I didn't know them, but they blessed me. What if some of the, the ways that we're looking for being blessed are actually on the other side of the church? Where do you need someone else across a generational line for your own breakthrough? I know for me, coming here at ECV as a, I think, 22-year-old, I needed older brothers and sisters. I needed people to look out for me. I didn't know what was next, and that's what I received. When I started pastoring, I needed someone that could look out for me, that could say, I'm not just concerned about like, how you're doing at your job or the fruit of your, uh, or the, the ministry fruit of your life, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how your soul is. And then Bill Elander spoke into my life and said, hey, I want to pray this over you, Psalm 23. Specifically that the Lord makes us rest and lie down in green pastures. And him and Laney spoke into my life in ways that gave me life. And I needed that in the other side of the church. I didn't know that's where my breakthrough was. And I could tell you a story in each a way that maybe I was bitter or I was cut off or I was wondering, what's going to happen? And yet by persisting, I could see that God was interested and invested in me receiving a blessing, and I've tried to give that away. Where might you be curious right now about how you could be blessed and how you can bless? And even as I say that, there might be a, but Josh, I've tried this before. Sometimes in Christian circles, people say the dreaded M word. Don't tell me to mentor or be mentored. Just stop. It's like, you know, people, some people, are like, it's the M word. Don't even say it out loud. But there's something about daring. Maybe not, if we don't need to use it, not to mentor, to be mentored, but to say, can I grab you lunch? Can I pray for you? Can I ask what God is doing in your life? Can I tell you that? Maybe it starts there for you. So as we wind down, I want to just give a few invitations and then ask a few questions, and then we're going to move to prayer. And we'll have all of February to grow more in this, to think more about this. This week, reflect on your generational story. You know, think about it at ECV. Sometimes we've been coming and someone reminds us, hey, you know, Lucretia, I remember when you came as a first-year MDiv student, you're like, I don't. <laughs> like, that's a long time ago. We forget that, like, we came here maybe even with different pursuits uh, in, a, in a certain station of our life, and, and we're different now. So reflect on that. When did you come? And if you're like, this is my first Sunday, this chill, this is a lot. Hey, I hope I'll see you again next week. <laughs> There's more. But really, reflect on that. But then again, you can reflect on it beyond, because I think that's the framework we kind of put together, trauma, trust, test, and trust. I think that happens in our generational lives, with our family, our biological family, where we have a story maybe of trauma, then the Lord is testing uh, or like letting tests happen. There's, there's ways that we're wondering uh, how we can grow. And then the, the answer is to trust. That's happening, I think, in so many different ways. So think through that. 
You can identify a SPR, specific prayer request. that can be a way that you demonstrate trust and relationship with God. Think about Hannah. What she did was just say, Lord, would you bless me this way? She didn't try harder. She didn't have more effort. She just said it in a kind of a, a place of being with God, Lord, would you do it? Sometimes that's what we have to do is have a specific prayer request. It says, God, if you did this, it would break off that bitterness. It would break off that stuckness. It would break off kind of that hard place that I'm in. But I don't really have strength to do much more. But I can pray. So I dare you. I challenge you. Exhort you. Pray that prayer request. That's a specific prayer request that God either, uh, like, that you'll know God will do or not. Do that work and see what God does. And lastly, choose to intentionally bless someone in a different generational story than yours in the church, in Elm City Vineyard, and also in your life. Because there's some kind of powerful flow that happens. We've seen it in this story as we bless one to another. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I'm just going to lead us in one more exercise. These questions will come up again next week. And then I'm going to pray for us. These are questions that maybe help us with that first thing of identifying our story. It's a question of why are you here? Like, why are you still here? Here in this community, here in the Elm City Vineyard, here in this seat. And this question uh, hopefully is a blessing, but it can feel sometimes like a confrontation. But it's important to ask, why are you here? What are you looking for? That's that next part. What do you need to be here well? To be here well. Is there something God's uh, wanting to draw out of you? Wanting to kind of call out a desire? And lastly, what do you have to give or to bless? We're going to use these questions uh, throughout these weeks because they're going to help you know your story. Why are you here? Why are you still here? What do you need to be here well? Maybe that's something that you need to ask from, for God to do, the, the SPR, the specific prayer request. And then what do you have to give or to bless? going to uh, pray right now just for the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us. So we're just going to take a posture of waiting to see what God is up to. Holy Spirit, would you be here right now with the power of your Spirit? the power of your spirit because you are the God of blessing and you want to bless us. You so deeply want to bless us and you want us to bless others and you so deeply want that too. Holy Spirit, right now I just pray for people who are uh, feeling empty to be filled up. People who are feeling empty to be filled up. I just feel like there's right now people that feel like they don't have something to give or to bless, and you do already, but I just want to pray the Holy Spirit would fill you up so you would know that you have more, that there's more for you here.